Thank you, Brother Rick. I have heard so many wonderful comments and commendations on the work that Brother Owens and his family, that they're doing here at White Oak. I noticed your attendance board from the last time that I had the honor of being here and visiting. I think Ben Vick was here with you holding a gospel meeting, and I've noticed that you're growing, and that is really encouraging. I've heard several of you, some of you say that you're getting young couples, young folks, and uh, others that are being involved in Bible studies. So I'm excited for White Oak, and I'm excited for the work that Brother Rick is doing for the glory of God. May I express my appreciation for those involved in the kind invitation to come and be a part of your summer series. What a wonderful theme you have chosen, that of the good fruit. You remember the Lord said you will know them by their what? You will know them by their fruits. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, nor can an evil tree bring forth good fruit. Thus, by your fruits, they will be known. And we believe tonight that we want to always be bearing that good fruit. Fruit that is growing, fruit that is a part of our Christian life and our service unto God. The subject that's been assigned to me this evening is one that I need personally. I don't know about you, but there are so many times that we as Christians lose our joy. We lose our peace. And there are many things that may come into one's life that will take away our joy and take away our peace. And so I in a personal way, I'm thankful for the subject that has been assigned because it has helped me to be able to deal with some struggles in my own life. And maybe what we share tonight will help some of you in your own personal life as you may be trying to have the joy and the peace that our hearts so long for tonight. The result of a well-tended garden is that of joy and peace. Do you like results? If you're doing something, you always want to be sure that the result of whatever you're doing is going to be positive. The result of work, the result of study, the result of whatever it is in one's life we want that to be a positive thing for us. And if we allow the Spirit of God to be in our lives and our hearts, and when we talk about the Spirit of God indwelling the child of God, we believe that when one repents and is baptized, he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 and verse 38. In Acts 5 and verse 32, and so is the Spirit unto those unto whom God has given to those that obey Him. Now I'm not talking tonight about a Spirit that indwells us miraculously. I'm not talking about a Spirit that leads us separate and apart from the Word of God. I'm not talking about an emotional experience that we attach to the Spirit indwelling the heart 
of the child of God. But we believe that the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and the other things that you will hear in this summer series. Our hearts desire, yea, our hearts long for, our hearts cry out for the things that are described here as the fruit the Spirit bears within our lives. And these indeed may be ours. We may possess the result of the Spirit being within us, leading us by the Word of God, is going to always be that which will bring joy and peace unto our hearts and lives. And so, in the time assigned to me tonight, I've just got two words. I heard a preacher say one time, if you tell the audience you've only got two points, that gives the audience some encouragement. So, I don't tell you how long these two points may last. Now, we've got some folks here that used to go to East Ridge, and they would probably say, Amen. Don't know how long those two points are. But these two words, you could have a whole sermon on each one of them. But I want to focus very briefly on these two words that are a part, the result of a well-tended garden and the Spirit of God bearing His fruit within our hearts and lives. First, think about joy. Joy is a thing all of us are looking for. But sometimes we look for it in the wrong places, don't we? And we think that joy is found not in living for God, not in serving Him, but rather joy is found out there in the world. And we've got some wonderful young people here this evening, and I'm sure that these young people, young adults, and all of us have heard the idea that, well, if you follow God's Word and you live the Christian life, that is the dullest life, the most unhappy life that one may ever choose to live. I don't want to be a Christian because Christians don't seem to have any joy. And if you want to have joy out of life, Live it in the world and you'll find it there. But you've got to go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. And remember that the wise man Solomon speaks about the meaning of life. And as a young man, I'm sure that the wise man Solomon was reaching after joy and happiness and fulfillment in his own life. And when you read Ecclesiastes, all the things that he was reaching for that he thought would bring joy to his life, when he came down to the end and life was winding up, the wise man says all of these things like material possessions, money, all of these things like wine, women, song, all of the things that I thought if I can just possess these things in my life, I'm going to find joy and happiness. But you recall the summary of his life when he would say, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. If you've got money, it isn't necessarily going to bring you joy, is it? If you've got women and wine and song and all the things that the world allures our hearts toward, 
If we were to have all of these things in our lives, it does not guarantee that joy is going to be brought to us. And so when I think about where joy is found, it's not outside these four walls and out there in the world. But rather, I believe that the joy that is our desire and is fulfilled is real, revealed to us as I open the pages of God's sacred word. Did you know that the New Testament is a book of joy? If you were to look at the two Greek words translated joy, these two words translated joy are found over 130 times in the New Testament. So what is being revealed to, here, to us here in the Bible is that God's Word is not a book of things that bring depression and sadness to our lives. Rather, the Bible is a book of joy. Not only the New Testament, but all of God's Word. The summary from Genesis to Revelation, all of God's divine truth will bring joy unto our hearts and lives if we will but believe it and obey it and walk in the wonderful truths that are contained therein. Did you know that a greeting that was often given to people walking down the streets in Bible days? Say you were walking down the street of Jerusalem or some other Bible city and you came up to someone that you knew was a child of God. The greeting that was often given was this. Joy be with you. How many times do we use those words with one another? When we see a child of God, when we see someone that we believe is trying to serve the Lord, do we convey to him or that individual, that sister or brother in Christ, may joy be with you? If we expressed it more often, maybe we would feel it more often. You know what most of us do when we greet each other? We will say, well, what was the score of the ball game last night? Or did you hear the news today about the problems that are happening in our nation. And I appreciate our brother's prayer about the tragedy that occurred even today. One of the things that I have to work on in my life, and maybe you would join me with that this evening, I watch too much news. Do you? I watch Fox News a lot. Now that is not going to get into any kind of thing with you. And if you don't watch Fox, if you watch CNN, that's... Okay, we won't withdraw fellowship on that. We might be close, but we won't withdraw fellowship on that. But I watch Fox News and all of the things I'm hearing that are happening in our nation. You know what happens if I feed my mind on that very long? It will take away my joy. And I'll become so upset, so worried and so anxious and so fretful about what's happening in this nation that the joy of the Lord is hard to find in our lives and our hearts because so much focus is given on the negative things that are happening within our nation. I believe that there's fake news out there, yes. I believe there's false news out there, true. But I want you to know tonight, I believe also there is good news. And the good news that you and I can focus upon tonight is the good news of the joy of the Lord that is our strength. 
and the joy of the Lord that I can have in my heart and you may possess in your heart will strengthen you, will help you as we all face the challenges of life. And so when I think about this concept of joy, let's begin thinking about communicating that to one another. Not like the little child as they're riding down the road out in the country and they look out in the field and they see the old mule standing there. And as the mule is standing out there in the field, the child says, Mom and Dad, is the mule a Christian? And Mom and Dad said, No, why do you ask that? And the little child said, Well, he's got a long face like most Christians I see. I've heard the old saying, If you're happy, notify your face. Let us have the joy that God wants us to possess in our relationship with Him. You know, the Bible speaks about this greeting of joy be with you in several verses, and my time is not going to allow me to go into all these verses, but I've got a number of verses I want to share with you. Why don't you write down Acts 15, 23, James chapter 1, verse 1, Luke 1, 28, and Matthew 28, verse 9, where there is a greeting of joy expressed by those who were followers of Christ and even by Jesus in His resurrected body. As he will say to the women coming to his tomb to anoint his body. And Jesus says rejoice. And we believe tonight that the greeting of joy ought to be shared with one another. You know joy is an atmosphere. Joy is an atmosphere that a child of God has that is constant. I don't believe that I go around in my life with a silly grin on my face or everything is happy and everything is laughter. There are times we go through heartache. There are times that we go through pain. There are times that we go through struggles. There are times that our emotions are overwhelmed with things that are occurring in my life. A person may lose their job. A person may be losing their health. A person may lose their husband or their wife. Maybe even a child. And in all of those circumstances of tribulation and heartache, I don't believe that I can always have this overwhelming sense of joy and laughter that may be associated with the joy that the Lord wants to provide for us. But I do believe this. In the midst of all of my tribulation, in the midst of all of my trials and troubles, heartaches and struggles, I may have an atmosphere of joy that permeates my heart and life that will carry me through those times of difficulty. Doesn't the Bible say in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16, Rejoice always. Philippians 4 and verse 4, Rejoice always. If you know where the book of Philippians was written from, you'll understand Paul was in a prison cell. And as the great apostle is writing to the saints in Philippi, he's telling them, rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. Let there be an atmosphere of joy in your heart and life. So much so that when you go back and you look at Paul and Silas, when they were in that prison cell in Philippi, what are they doing at midnight? Well, they're not wringing their hands and they're not overwhelmed with anxiety and and all kinds of worry and fear, frustration and fretting. No, the Bible says that Paul and Silas, when they're in that prison cell in Philippi, they are singing and they are praying. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. If you ever get down low and find it hard to go through the day, 
I find that what helps me to be able to develop joy in those situations is to begin singing. Because there's something about singing unto God or expressing a song in the midst of our sorrow and heartache that will help us to maintain that atmosphere of joy. Now, in what do we find joy? Where is our joy located? Let me share with you some areas I believe you and I may find our joy tonight. First, we may find joy in fellowship with one another. I noticed as I sat there before I got up, there was a lot of laughter and talking and fellowshipping going on, Brother Rick, as you came in this building. And when we came in together, we shook hands, we greeted one another. And there's a sense, you see, when all of us assemble together, that there is a joy, there's a happiness that is associated with those of like precious faith. We love one another. We encourage one another. And out of our love and our encouragement for one another, we're able to find our joy in being together with those who are fellow Christians as we come into this assembly of worship and fellowship together. When you read the book of Philemon, verse 7, Paul commends that great man Philemon. Because you see, when people were traveling through his hometown, they were coming to his congregation. The Bible says to Philemon that you welcomed them, you opened your home, you enjoyed the fellowship. And there was joy in your heart because of the association and the fellowship you had with those who were preaching the Word of God. There's also a sense of joy when fellowship that has been broken is restored. I watch a congregation. And I notice when someone comes forward and they are admitting sin in their lives and they ask for the prayers of the congregation, maybe there's somebody here tonight or there's someone that you're working with in Bible studies or encouragement that has fallen away from the Lord and they've fallen away from the church. And the greatest joy in that assembly is when someone whose fellowship has been broken, they're outside the body of Christ, they've fallen away from the Lord, and they come back and they're restored to their first love. There is great joy in that congregation. I've seen it. And I've watched at East Ridge, and I'm sure you watch it here at White Oak also, that when somebody comes and sits down on these front rows and they confess sin, And that fellowship you see that was broken is once again restored. Oh, there's great joy in that, isn't there? And so we have a joy that is a part of our fellowship with one another. And maybe that's why if we truly had that wonderful bond of fellowship that we love and we cherish so much that when someone has to be withdrawn from and the fellowship is taken away, It will mean something because of the wonderful fellowship and love that exists in the congregation. Well, secondly, there is the joy of the gospel itself. What is the gospel? The word that all of us know is defined as good news. And the good news of the gospel has a joy that is found within that message of the gospel of Christ. When Jesus is born into this world, what was the message of the angels? 
The message of the angels at the birth of the Savior is that there is joy because there is born to you a Savior. And the joy that began with Jesus' birth carried all the way through the life of Christ. When He dies on the cross, He's buried, He's resurrected. He also gives that same sense of joy because He is no longer in the grave. But He has been raised from the grave. And the Bible indicates that these disciples, when they know that He's been raised again, there is so much joy in their hearts they cannot contain it. And when they watch Him ascend back up into glory, the Bible says in Luke 24 verse 52, as they saw Jesus ascending back up in the clouds into heaven, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They saw His resurrected body. They saw Him go back into heaven. They heard His promise, I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you to Myself. Someone said the reason why that early church was so enthusiastic and zealous, the reason why that early church grew in such a great way as they spread the gospel everywhere, they lived so close to the resurrection of Jesus, they believed it so strongly that it motivated their hearts with joy and they went everywhere telling people there is a Savior who has been raised from the dead. He has ascended back up into heaven and He's coming again. And that wonderful promise of the resurrection and the ascension and the return of Christ was a joy that could not be taken away from their hearts. When was the last time that our hearts pounded with joy? Because we knew the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That gospel and that wonderful message also brings joy to those who receive it. You remember in Luke 19, there's a little man by the name of Zacchaeus. The Bible says in Luke 19, verse 6, that he received, he came down from that tree, that sycamore tree, he came down and he received Jesus with joy. And all through the book of Acts, you find that as the gospel is being declared, and they begin to understand the message of truth found in the gospel of Christ. When the Bible is preached by Philip the Evangelist in Samaria, in that Samaritan city, the Bible says the whole city is filled with joy because they're hearing the message of the gospel declared. And in Acts chapter 8, as Philip goes to that eunuch and he tells that eunuch about Jesus, the one who was led as a sheep of the slaughter, the one that is fulfilling the prophecy the eunuch is reading about he doesn't understand. And Philip tells him about Jesus Christ And he tells them the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And Mr. Eunuch, you must obey that gospel. What does the eunuch do? He doesn't reject the gospel. He says, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And the eunuch goes down in that water with Philip the evangelist, comes up out of the water, and the Bible says the eunuch goes on his way doing what? He goes on his way rejoicing. Why does he rejoice? Because he has received the gospel and the message of Christ. I would suggest also that we may have joy in times of testing. Read the book of James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's hard for me to understand. I don't like trials. I don't like testing. I don't like hard things that come into my life. 
But James says, count it all joy when testing and trials come your way. Yes, our hearts can break and they can ache and we can feel the sadness and the struggles that come to the trials and the difficulties of our lives. But I truly believe that joy and affliction, joy and trials go together. There is something about the trials that create within us a sense of joy in knowing the Lord is bringing me, the Lord is helping me through all of these trials and all of these difficulties. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, the Bible speaks about Peter and the others who had been told not to preach in the name of Jesus any longer. And they were being persecuted because they would not listen to those who were saying, don't fill our city with your doctrine. Do not preach Christ and His death and the shedding of His blood. Do not bring His guilt upon us. We don't want to hear that any longer. And as they were being persecuted and they were suffering for their faith, the Bible says they counted it all joy that they could suffer for the name of Christ. When you read the wonderful Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Do you remember there in Matthew 5 that Jesus, as He closes those Beatitudes out, He will say, when they persecute you, and they say all manner of evil against you falsely for My name's sake, do what? Rejoice. And be exceedingly glad. For so persecuted they, the prophets that were before you, Great is your reward in heaven. And thus I believe that joy can come to the child of God even in the midst of persecution and trial. There's the joy of the Christian work and the joy of evangelism. The disciples on one occasion in the earthly ministry of Jesus came back and Luke says in chapter 10 verse 17 they say to the Master, We rejoice because even the demons are subject to your name. Have you ever watched and seen the power of the Word of God as it drives out sin from a person's life? Have you ever sat down in a Bible study with someone who is struggling with the truth of the Gospel? And I recall on one occasion a wonderful couple of an Elkhart, Indiana, And this couple had been in a denomination for 50-something years. We opened the Bible and we began studying what the Scriptures were saying relative to how one becomes a New Testament Christian. And we read verses that indicated the necessity of our being buried with the Lord in baptism. Romans 6 and verse 4. We just read those verses and I'll never forget as they were struggling with understanding and knowing now the truth they'd never heard. And they looked at me and they said, Why have we not ever heard these verses before? And tears were coming down their cheek. And they told me, We want to follow the Bible, the Word of God. And as they made that decision that night, the joy of seeing someone struggling with understanding the truth and the joy that is in the heart of one who is reaching out to the lost and the lost hearing and understanding, maybe for the first time, something they had never understood or heard before. 
And as they hear and they obey the Word of God, the joy that is in their heart also is in the heart of the child of God who is reaching out with the truth of the Word of God and they find the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And thus bringing men unto salvation will bring great joy unto our hearts and lives. Paul said that when the Lord comes again, you know what his prayer was? His prayer was, when Jesus comes again, I'll be able to see those whom I have taught the gospel. They will be my joy and they will be my crown. I do not know what the crown of righteousness will be for those who are children of God. But I believe that part of the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing, are souls that may stand all around us on that final day. They may stand around us in heaven itself and they may look at you and me and they may tell us, thank you for sharing with me the Word of God and bringing me to Christ. My friends, I am telling you tonight, there is no joy that can come into your heart in a greater and in a more wonderful way than to lead someone to Christ who does not know the way of salvation. And thus we are so grateful tonight that joy is a part of that result of the Spirit of God living within us and bearing His fruit in our lives. If you and I know the God of joy, we will know the joy of God. Secondly, and I guess I quit what about 10 till 8? Okay. I want to be sure I let you out on time. I've heard preachers say, well, I'll let you out when I get through. But I don't want to make you nervous about that tonight. The last few moments, I've got one more word to think with you about. And oh, what an elusive thing this is. The fruit of the Spirit is joy and peace. Peace is so evasive. It's so hard because of personalities, because of problems and difficulties of disagreements. Nations are not at peace tonight. If it be God's will, I want to go back to Russia this fall. But you know the struggles we have between our nations. And I truly pray and hope that there will not be any difficulties that would close the doors for us not to be able to go back and preach the Word and encourage the Christians in that part of our world. We think about the difficulties and the problems in the Middle East and our president going recently and hoping that he can bring some kind of peace in the Middle East that is so hard to receive and maintain in that part of the world. Even in our own nation, I have never in my life seen the division that is occurring within our own nation. Peace is an elusive thing. And it's hard for people to dwell together, whether it be in a nation, a home, or in the church. Peace is a hard, hard thing. And as I close my thoughts tonight, and I look with you at three directions, that you and I are striving for peace. There is a peace, first of all, that is Godward. 
The Bible speaks about faith. Justified by faith. We may have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Most people tonight are not at peace with God. Most people tonight in our world are fighting against God. Most people in our world are rebelling against God. And Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is is there heavy that it cannot hear. But your sins have separated between you and your God. Your iniquities have hid His face from you that He will not hear. And there is a great wall of separation between man and God because of sin. And sin that permeates our hearts and our lives will cause that separation between us and God. And there's somehow, some way, some possible possibility that I can be brought in reconciliation with God so that I can be at peace with God. And Paul writes about that in Ephesians 2, doesn't he? When he says that at one time you Gentiles were without Christ, you were without God, you were without hope in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you have been reconciled unto God. By the blood of His cross, you have been made to be at peace with God. And oh, how we desire that peace that can develop between my heart and my life and the wonderful God of heaven. The second way that peace is sought, not only Godward, but selfward. Every man and every woman is a walking civil war. Are you fighting with yourself tonight? There's some things in your life you're fighting with. You know what is right, what is God's will for your life. But I'm not doing it, Brother Cochran. And not doing what I know I ought to be doing is causing in my heart a war, a struggle, and I'm not at peace. And until a man is at peace with God and at peace with himself, at peace knowing that he is submitting his life to the Lord. You know, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, don't be anxious about your life, what you put on, what you're going to eat, about your life. And he talks about the problem of worry. And I'm sure that we who preach the gospel have stood in congregations like this. And there's in that audience a wonderful group of Christians who are trying their best to overcome the worries of their lives. And we stand up and we say, don't worry about anything. Jesus said, don't be anxious about anything. You know what most of us do when we hear preachers say, don't worry about anything. We go home, we close our doors, and we begin worrying. We begin to be anxious, and we say, well, I just heard the preacher say, don't worry about anything. And what all of us begin doing, we begin being anxious and worrying about, and being anxious and worrying. It becomes a vicious cycle, doesn't it? It does with my heart. I don't know about you. I know about Charlie Cochran. And I know that I worry and I have anxieties about things and it takes away my peace. And the peace that I need to have in my heart, selfward, is overcome by the challenges of worry 
You remember Philippians 4, don't you? Be anxious for nothing. But what? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. I think God understands when we pray to Him, our hearts may be filled with worry as we're praying to God. Casting all your care upon Him, knowing that He cares for you. And if you and I are struggling with the problem of worry and anxiety, it doesn't necessarily mean we're guilty of sin. We're guilty of not following what the Lord said. We can take our worries that we're struggling with and we can pray about it. We can cast it upon God. We can make petitions. We can make supplication. When Jesus is in Gethsemane and He knows a cross is before Him, He says, Father, if there's some possible way, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Was Jesus anxious? Was Jesus crying out to God? And so anxious and so much pressure and the anxiety in the heart of our Lord caused the sweat to fall as great drops of blood down upon the ground. Yes, you and I can struggle with anxiety and worry, but it doesn't need to destroy our peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. I've got to mention in self-word struggles one thing quickly. What about the spiritual struggle that I have? You read Romans chapter 7. I believe Romans chapter 7, the latter part of that great chapter, is not talking about Paul as a Christian. When he says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The things I know that I should not do, those are the very things that I do. And Paul says, I find a war struggling within my heart. I find a battle going on that there is the desire to do right, to do good, to serve God. And he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me out of the body of this death? Who is going to give me the victory over the things I am struggling with? And I tell you tonight, Paul was struggling as a man outside of Christ, as a man under Judaism, as a man under the law of Moses. And Paul says, I could not live up to the expectations of the law of Moses. And he says in chapter 8, verse 1, But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And the peace of God then came into Paul's heart. And Paul finally realized, I'm not going to be saved by the law of Moses. I'm going to be saved by Jesus Christ. And I'm going to let His grace and forgiveness and His love provide forgiveness and no condemnation. And that's why you see, brothers and sisters, we can sing... Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. And that will give peace to my heart. I can go to bed tonight. You can go to bed tonight knowing if you died or Jesus came again, you would be assured you would go to heaven. There is no peace greater than that. Selfward. And then finally, there's the peace that is to come manward. That is, peace that I have with others. As much as lies within you, be at peace with one another. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, 
We are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There can be no peace in a congregation until I've got peace in my heart. If I'm not at peace with God and I'm not at peace with myself, I'm at war with you. But if I've got peace with God and I've got peace in my heart, I'm going to give every fiber of my being to maintaining unity in the body of Christ. So then if I know the God of peace, I will have the peace of God in my heart. Let me read one verse to close and then we'll have the invitation song. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 sums it up in a beautiful way. Hear what the Apostle writes. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God and His power bearing fruit in our lives will fill us with joy and with peace. Peace and joy be to you all tonight. We'll sing the invitation song if you need to respond. Believing Jesus is God's Son, repenting of your sins, acknowledging Christ with your mouth that He's the Son of God. Rick will be happy to baptize you into Christ tonight. If you need the prayers of this spiritual family because of public sin in your life, the invitation is yours as we stand together to sing.